This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's program... Soaring new numbers from the UN on Ukrainians fleeing the fighting. Nearly four million Ukrainians have become refugees now. We will respond wherever their humanitarian needs, regardless of where they are, and we urge that this compassion really be extended to all people who are being forced to flee. The impact of the war on Ukraine means that there's less available resources for the people of Yemen. There is a huge outpouring for Ukraine, for the refugees, for the food, medical supplies. But that must mean that in other places in the world, they're not getting what they should be getting. The United Nations this week is warning that this fight could cause one of the most disastrous global food shortages since World War II. We do not want to find ourselves in a situation in which we need to decide whether to feed a hungry child or a starving child. Both of them need to be assisted. Hello and welcome to Inside Geneva. In today's programme, we're going to look at challenges facing humanitarian work. As the new war in Ukraine continues and old conflicts in Yemen or Syria drag on, can the aid agencies cope? And do the donor countries have the will, let alone the resources, to keep on giving? To discuss this, I'm joined by Annalisa Conte. She's Geneva Director of the World Food Programme, Shabia Mantu of the UN Refugee Agency, and our analyst, Daniel Warner. Annalisa, let's start with you. You were already dealing with multiple protracted humanitarian crises. You mentioned some of them there, Syria, Yemen. Were you prepared for this one? A humanitarian organization like WFP needs to be always prepared for any unforeseen event. It is, however, a fact that our relationship with Ukraine was as a supplier and not as a country where we had to deliver humanitarian assistance. So we really had to start from scratch. Um, You know, we are very proud that within a month, we have already reached the one million people inside the Ukraine. But I must confess, it was quite a challenge. Thank you very much for that, Shabia Mantu. I wanted to ask you, as well as Annalisa, is you're joining us from Poland right now. Over 2 million Ukrainians are now refugees there. How are you coping? Hi, Imogen. Thanks. Yes, indeed. I'm joining you from Poland, where we've seen uh, millions of of refugees um, stream through across the borders. This crisis is of a magnitude that, um, and a pace that uh, we we haven't seen in recent years. It's quite phenomenal in over a month that 4 million people have fled the country to other countries in the region, but also there are millions inside Ukraine that are displaced. But in saying that, it's still, um, given the magnitude of the crisis, you have a couple of frontline states, as is the case in many refugee contexts around the world, that are really um, hosting 
phenomenal amount of refugees, but also bearing bearing the strains. So I think, you know, we have to step up uh, as humanitarians uh, the support to those countries because they can't do it alone. But with the with the size and the magnitude, and also the fact that we're still seeing displacement every day, we're still seeing people arrive. So we will have to wait to get a fuller picture and, and see where this goes. But you know, as an emergency response, I mean, we've been there and we'll, we anticipated that we would reach the millions. Danny, I see you already have your hand up. I did want to ask you, maybe is there a small ray of light, the outpouring of support for Ukraine? I mean, we have people across Europe donating money, offering their homes. Well, I mean, I'm from the Bronx, so there's always hope, but there's always cynicism that goes along with it. Just to congratulate the two organizations and all they're doing. But in another sense, they may be prepared, but they've got to be taking resources away from other places. And that seems to me to be a worry. There is a huge outpouring for Ukraine, for the refugees, for the food, medical supplies. But that must mean that in other places in the world, they're not getting what they should be getting. Isn't that a worry? In 2022, it's estimated that 274 million people would be in need of humanitarian assistance, a 17% rise. And the UN is appealing for a record amount for its annual appeal, 41 billion US dollars. That's my question to you, actually, Annalisa. I mean, we saw in December the UN appealed for 41 billion dollars for 2022 for 273 million people. That was before Ukraine. Since then, we've seen a flash appeal for Yemen. It raised less than a third of what the UN needed. Are you taking food from one place, from hungry people, to feed other hungry people? Well, it is uh, concerning that we are all faced by this very huge humanitarian situations uh, and starting from a point that was already difficult before the Ukraine crisis. That is why uh, we are advocating and we are trying our best to mobilize fresh resources for Ukraine, but at the same time also to advocate and to remind that there is Afghanistan, there is Yemen, there is Syria, there is North Nigeria, South Sudan. There are so many other very severe crises where people are on the brink of starvation and the need to be to be fed. Shabia, I know you are right there on the border and you're seeing the people streaming across who've had to abandon their homes, witness terrible violence. Nevertheless, are you you worried at all that this undoubted humanitarian crisis will deflect from other crises that that the World Food Programme, the UN Refugee Agency are having to deal with? You know, I'm glad you're asking this question. I think we need to have these these conversations and, and it's not a question for humanitarian agencies. I mean, we we will respond wherever there are humanitarian needs, regardless of where they are, where they are. And we urge that this compassion really be extended to all people who have been forced to flee. 
But we have to also ask, I mean, the solidarity, the outpouring we're seeing from the world, um, we do have to ask, you know, is that going to be channeled as well to the other crises? I mean, you mentioned Yemen, Afghanistan, uh, we've got DRC, we have so many other situations um, in the Sahel and beyond where people are, are in the same predicament when they're being driven out of their homes by circumstances that are beyond their control. They require aid. I mean, they have so much uncertainty and trepidation about the future. They require that compassion, that empathy. And I think this crisis is an opportunity for the world to, to have some introspection and also extend that solidarity, that compassion uh, to all others in the, in the similar situation. So we hope it is a, a turning point. We hope that this does inspire empathy. From our part as humanitarians, we've been responding in, in some of the most neglected areas on earth, and we will continue to advocate and raise our voice on those crises. Um, but from the rest of the world, we ask that this empathy and compassion be extended as well. The United Nations took the initiative to organize Yemen's donors' conference yesterday. The amount of money that was offered by donors was less than expected, as if the entire world has left vulnerable Yemenis behind. From Belgium, Switzerland, Scandinavia, hundreds of Europeans have driven 15 hours or more to bring food and blankets and offer a free home for war refugees. Danny, I see again you're you're wanting to come in. I mean, what was, was crossing my mind there is... You know, do we in Europe need to ask ourselves, are we feeling more sympathy because the people at the moment fleeing war are Europeans? Are they they more important to us? It's a horrible thing to say, but... I do think, Imogen, that there has been an outpouring of solidarity throughout Europe. I mean, one would be surprised by Poland, for example,'s reaction, seeing as in other situations, they were not as generous as they are now. And I do think the Swiss, for example, are welcoming 15,000 refugees. Uh, Geneva's welcoming 5,000. Uh, they're starting schools, families are taking them in. And your question is, will there be a compassion fatigue uh, I do think there's an outpouring here, perhaps because the Ukrainians are Europeans, I'm not sure. But how long that will last, uh, it's one of those questions we can only say we'll have to wait and see, Imogen. I mean, on our side, uh, uh, as uh, the colleague from UNHCR was mentioning, uh, you know, we are uh, a humanitarian uh, agency, so we have the responsibility to support and assist whoever is faced by a humanitarian crisis, irrespective of their nationality, their gender, their religion, and whatever. Of course, we are also voluntarily funded. We do not have our own generated income. Therefore, because we are voluntarily funded, uh, we need to advocate to receive sufficient resources. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, our donors are also those that they are making the final call. That is why we are saying we do not want to find ourselves in a situation in which we need to decide whether to feed a hungry child or a starving child. Both of them need to be assisted. And to assist both of them, we need to raise new resources. Shabir, what do you think about that? I mean, this is going to be a hard, hard year, at least, isn't it, for 
humanitarian workers, not to mention the people you are trying to serve? Well, well, this is the situation, unfortunately, in many humanitarian crises that are the result of conflict. You have active conflict, you have parties to the conflict. You have to ensure that the humanitarian space is preserved because we need to reach people whose lives depend on humanitarian assistance and protection. Um, and really, there's no space to compromise that. I mean, non-neutrality is, is what uh, ensures our access to affected populations. So that's, that's not negotiable. But this is the situation we're seeing everywhere. And, and it is frustrating for humanitarians because we do come in to provide assistance, but this is the result of political conflict. This is beyond us. So it does require concerted efforts to, to achieve peace, to address the root causes, uh, to ensure that civilians are protected, that they can go on with their lives, and that people shouldn't be displaced. But you know, going back to your question, is this going to be a tough year? It's every single person that has been displaced from their home or affected by conflict, it's a tragedy. And we're seeing millions of those tragedies unfold as conflicts proliferate when there's a lack of, of peaceful negotiated solutions. So, and this is why it's so imperative to address that. I mean, on top of these humanitarian disasters and conflicts, you have the COVID pandemic, which hasn't gone. We have also the climate emergency. Um, we have other socioeconomic pressures, and we also have situations of displacement that have been protracted. And many of those refugees are being hosted in the developing world. So a new conflict or a new humanitarian crisis, it is really too much. And the, the, the key is really to resolve those and, and prevent displacement from occurring in the first place. Who knew that this Russian invasion of Ukraine would actually steal from your breadbasket and not only yours, but everyone around the world? 11,000 tons of wheat arrived in Lebanon this week, but this will be the last shipment from Ukraine. Annalisa, since we started to talk about the long term, you mentioned at the start of this program that Ukraine is traditionally a supplier to your agency. Now you are delivering food there. The prospect of a reduction in, in grain supplies must be causing you concern. Indeed, uh, we, we are very much concerned because, uh, you know, we can uh, perhaps identify alternative markets where to buy the supplies that we used to buy in Ukraine. But for sure, it is going to be more expensive. Being more expensive, it means that uh, we will not be able to reach the same number of people as we had planned to do. The other concerning aspect is that you have so many countries, particularly in the Middle East, Northern Africa, that they are net importers of food. And they were importing most of their grains from Ukraine and Russia. And therefore, their imports are going also to be affected. So basically, this crisis is not only being such an acute crisis because of the number of people, Ukrainian population that is affected, but also because of the economic repercussions that this will have on countries that are low and middle income. According to the UN, 23 million people, more than half of Afghanistan's population, are threatened by hunger this winter and in urgent need of assistance. Without the immediate action, 
we face a starvation and malnutrition crisis in Afghanistan. People are already selling their children and their body parts in order to feed their families. Shabia, this feels like a perfect storm. I mean, if there is increasing hunger in countries which were dependent on grain imports from Ukraine, say, well, increasing hunger will lead to more displacement, more refugees, more instability. That's right. But also we know that in many uh, humanitarian crises that are unfortunately uh, occurring in many parts of the world, uh, people there are already suffering from from food insecurity and really uh, horrible levels of hunger. So, you know, the fear is that this is all interconnected. This will make, you know, the humanitarian crisis will will uh, exacerbate for for many. So it just it really goes back to the need to ensure that there is peace to prevent conflicts from occurring. We we can't have uh, people who are being put in the in the position of being affected by conflict and displacement, but also in other places as well to to feel those repercussions. Um, and we're talking about people who've been affected by humanitarian crisis are already faced with displacement, with conflict. Uh, they don't have enough to eat, not enough resources. Again, as I mentioned, there's the pandemic. So this is really the the worry and how this will exacerbate and worsen the humanitarian crises uh, for, for many refugees and displaced people. Danny, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say that there have been various conferences to raise money, donor conferences, and they have not been terribly successful. So on the one hand, there is an outpouring of solidarity. But on the other hand, at the end of the month, the money's not there. How do you explain the difference between the empathy, the outpouring of compassion, and yet the donors are not giving enough money to help your organizations? Across a continent, in nine African countries, Almost 800,000 refugees have had their food rations cut. Well, that's true, isn't it, Annalisa? I mean, there are many, many, we hear it week after week at the UN briefing in Geneva, underfunded operations in Mozambique, in Yemen, as we said, in Afghanistan, in Central African Republic, in DRC. You all have already had to cut rations in some places, haven't you? Yeah, indeed. Uh, even before this crisis, uh, uh, we had uh, we had to make uh, hard choices in a number of of countries and situation. And this uh, is always uh, very very difficult because uh, you know. Um, Perhaps uh, people uh, do not fully understand what does it mean cutting a ration by 30% or 50%. But uh, we have to consider that uh, in most of these situations, uh, people can survive only because they receive a humanitarian assistance. The package that we are providing is really to provide them with the minimum requirement. There is no surplus. So if that minimum requirement has to be cut by a third or even by 50%, it means that these people have to survive with something that is not enough. And if they want to complement, they have necessarily to resort to coping mechanisms that are detrimental of their health and the well-being of, of their family. So it's really, really something extremely concerning. I mean, that's true. We're hearing from Afghanistan, for example, families selling their last sticks of furniture 
to, to put food on the table. We're hearing of increasing child labour, increasing child marriage. Shabia, is the UN Refugee Agency having to cut back some of its essential programmes in different parts of the world? We're, we're urging that um, humanitarian responses for these emergencies, that they are funded and that, you know, that this compassion, as I mentioned, is extended to all of them. So we will continue to advocate for that. But just to add one, one other element as well, I mean, funding for the humanitarian response is one part of it, um, but it's also ensuring um, the, the adherence and their respect for refugee law and ensuring access to asylum as well for, for refugees, regardless of, of where they are and where they come from. So this will be the two... Uh, these are the two key asks that we've always continued to advocate for access to asylum for those in need of international protection and support for the humanitarian responses. And that that is critical, whether it's it's for uh, refugees fleeing Ukraine or other parts of the world as well. Well, we're coming almost to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. So the last question, I'm going to come to you first, Danny, and then Annalisa and Shabia. One of the things that some of my friends who don't work in, in Geneva at all say to me is, you know, we've had two years of the pandemic, now there's a war, and we feel so helpless. What can we do as individuals to try and make this world a bit of a better place, to make things better? The, the famous functionalist David Mitrani between the wars said, peace through pieces. Uh, and I think that the number of people in Geneva and in Switzerland who were taking in the refugees, when you see the people in the school trying to communicate with the young people who don't speak French or German, I think there is an outpouring of compassion here. The larger questions of peace and security, the UN, the Security Council meetings in Turkey, perhaps those will be decided by them but I do think there is an outpouring here on an individual level, which is extremely impressive. So peace through pieces is a good model. Annalisa, what do you think? If, if somebody who doesn't work in, in the humanitarian field says to you, what can I do? I want to help. What would you say? Well, uh, you know, often we talk a little bit uh, in uh, theoretical terms that we need uh, to interconnect uh, humanitarian assistance, uh, development and peace. I think that we really get to the, the basics of all of this. So we really need uh, to figure out uh, how can we really integrate uh, peace in everything we do because uh, most of the most acute food insecurity situation have a conflict as an underlying cause. So if already we were collectively being able to address the problem of conflict and reduce conflict, already I think we would be able to make a step forward and improve also the food security situation of people. Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, if this war is going to continue, they won't be able to provide and to supply the grains and, uh, and the oil uh, that they used to do. So we really need uh, to elevate peace as the precondition to achieve uh, everything else. Shabir, that last question, the final words to you. 
Well, I would suggest if you're sitting at home and you're wondering uh, how you can help refugees or people affected by conflict, if you are in a position to provide uh, financial support, I mean, donate to your favourite trusted charity that, that is working for refugees or conflict-affected people, it really does go a long way. There are people who, who are really struggling to, to survive and stay alive. So that is really important if you are in a position to do that. And many people are are expressing such great solidarity and support for refugees and we would just ask that 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 is extended to all and next time if you are unfortunately privy to toxic narratives or fear-mongering about refugees we rely on you to dispel that to counter that take a stand against it because you can see for yourself the people that are fleeing these crises they are, they are just everyday citizens like like us and they're just put in unfortunate circumstances um, but unfortunately we've seen in many contexts that they've been used and maligned and, and scapegoated from political campaigns or in the media and it's really important that we counter those narratives because these are human lives at stake and no one becomes a refugee by choice. So if you, if you can support that and uh, support the rights of refugees and stand with refugees, I think that's equally as important. Thank you very much for that. To my guests, Annalisa Conte, Shabia Mantu, and our analyst, Daniel Warner. Very interesting, inspiring at the end discussion, although we are living in very difficult times. I would just echo what Shabia said, a refugee is a refugee, whether from Ukraine, Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan. A hungry person is a hungry person, wherever they're from. And finally, which I think we all mentioned in our final thoughts, we need peace. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Thanks again. This has been Inside Geneva to my guests and to all of you for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at swissinfo.ch and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the program and check out our previous episodes from a long, hard look at the United Nations, now it's 75, to the history of how the international treaties on landmines and on enforced disappearances came about. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you for listening and do join us again on Inside Geneva. If you enjoyed this episode of Inside Geneva, do take a listen to another of our most popular episodes – aid organizations and racism. We are an incredibly diverse organization, as are uh, most humanitarian organizations today. It has become a lot richer. It has become a lot uh, closer to the beneficiaries. But our structures haven't changed. It's more difficult for me as an African to get into a position of leadership, a position of management, um, than it would for someone else. We hear how Geneva-based humanitarian agencies are soul-searching as they stand accused of institutional racism. What's behind the accusations and how are they being addressed? Mm-hmm.